While they're receiving their offering, let's turn back over to Joshua chapter 1. For those of you who were not here last night, this is where I started uh, ministering. And I just want to go back and read a couple of these verses very quickly. We dealt with this last night, but this will be a summary. I started talking about that we have to be strong and of a good courage. There is a lot of negativity, and I used a number of scriptures Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, where it says, Because uh, iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And I showed how that the scripture teaches that the negativity and the unbelief, the ungodliness of people around us affect us. And there's a lot of people that aren't aware of that. And so because of it, they just expose themselves to all of this negative thing that's in this world and don't realize how potentially damaging it is. So I was kind of sounding a warning last night, trying to present how bad the situation is so that people would start realizing that if you don't take a deliberate course of action and resist this, you are going to become negative because of all of the things that are going on in our world. And the Lord knew this, and He told Joshua this exact same thing. Joshua was entering into a situation where he was taking over for Moses. Hard act to follow. And the Lord told him in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou shalt observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest." Man, those are some strong, strong scriptures. And I tell you, we need that admonition today. And so what I want to begin to do this morning, last night I was just showing you the crisis, how that there is a problem, how we need to deal with it. What I want to do today is to begin to share with you about how you can be strong and of a good courage, how you can be positive in the midst of negativism. And here is the first point that I want to make. By the very virtue of the fact that God gave a command to his disciples to be strong and of a good courage, that shows that you can do it. Now that is a really simple truth. And I know some of you think, well, man, we need to get some more than that. You need to recognize that there's a lot of people today and even a large part of the body of Christ today that have embraced defeat and have accepted that we just, we can't really be positive. We can't really operate in faith when all of these things are happening. And they embrace this. And there are a tremendous amount of people that take delight in glorifying our humanity and talking about how we're, we're only human. We even sing songs about that. Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. And they glorify and talk about our frailty. And there's people that take great delight in doing that. You know, we are two parts. Actually, we're three parts, but there is this physical, natural part that, yes, is human and has limitations. And we all get hurt and we all get discouraged and fear comes against us. And I'm not denying that that exists. 
But there is another part of us, the spirit man. And this spirit man is able to deal with anything that comes against it. And I really take offense when I hear people just approaching life with only a human standpoint or mindset. When they are just talking about how that we're only human and they are only trying to draw on the physical, natural realm. You know, this is why I disagree with psychology so much. Psychology, the very word psychology comes from the word psyche, which is a Greek god, at the Greek god of the soul. It's only dealing with the soulish, mental, and physical part. It doesn't even acknowledge that you have a spirit man. And it certainly isn't dealing with things from the born-again spirit perspective that you now have the life of God living on the inside of you. And this is why I disagree with psychology. It's not that I say that we don't have problems. Uh, you know, that people will sit there and take these tests, these personality profiles, and it will tell you that you're a caloric or a, what are all those different things? Seguin and uh, who knows? I don't know what they are. But anyway, they put you into these uh, boxes and say that this is your personality type and here's the way that you are. And you might change a little bit, but this is basically you. And they tell you that this is, this is all you're going to be. I've had people before say, well, I'm a prophet. And prophets, you know, aren't people that sit there and take care of things. And I had a woman one time that... Uh, she made her husband, who worked for me, work eight hours a day and then go do all the grocery shopping and then come home and cook and then take care of the kids and do everything while she sat and she studied the Word and she was a prophet all day because that was her gifting and calling. <laughs> and they use that as an excuse for, well, it's just not my calling to do this. You know, all of that's doing, it's measuring your flesh. These tests can only measure your flesh. They're like a snapshot. If you take a picture of somebody, it takes a picture of what they are right at that moment, but it doesn't tell you necessarily what they're going to be or what they can be. What I disagree with those things is, yes, you may have a tendency. This, you may be a type A personality or whatever, and this may be your tendency, but all that's doing is measuring your flesh. But in the spirit, man, you got born again, and you are now a completely brand new person. And in the spirit realm, you have a capability, a potential that you can't measure with any of those charts. It's not going to show up in your snapshot when they give you a test. It can't measure who you are in Christ. But in Christ, every one of us can be supernatural. We can overcome adversity and you can change your personality types. You know, I was an introvert. I couldn't even look at a person in the face and talk to them. And now I speak to millions and millions and millions of people over television. And we hold meetings with thousands of people. And I can do things now that I couldn't do at the time. My natural tendency is this. But you know what? I am a new person in Christ. And I am not bound to these old carnal, natural things. So my point is that there are a lot of people that think, well, as things get worse and as the situation changes and, and stuff, what can we do about it? I'm just human. I'm just a man. I'm not just human. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. One third of me has been born again. And I have the ability to change myself and to make a difference in the world that I live in. And if God told me to be strong and of a good courage, I can be strong and of a good courage or he wouldn't have commanded me to do it. You know, over in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says around verse 46, somewhere around there. 
It says that because you didn't serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all of the things that he's done in your life, therefore you will serve your enemies in sorrow and in grief. And of course, we've been redeemed from this punishment and curse of the Old Testament law. God is not going to sell you to somebody and, and put you into bondage for punishment. We have been redeemed. We got a better covenant. But nonetheless, it shows you that God held people accountable for their emotions. He said that because you didn't rejoice when you had things going good, therefore, I'm going to bring punishment upon you. Now, God placed our punishment upon Jesus, but nonetheless, it shows you that God held people accountable for emotions. And that is not the way that most people think today. Most people think, well, I'm not responsible if I'm depressed. I don't bear any responsibility. You don't understand. They didn't do this for me. I haven't had this happen. You don't understand. I got a chemical imbalance. It is not my fault. It usually goes over about like that. (laughs) This is the reason I'm ministering what I'm ministering because you know what? Today we really have absolved people of responsibility and we are saying that it is not your fault that you're a jerk. It's because when you were a child, you didn't have a birthday cake on your second birthday. And because of that, that justifies you being a rapist and a murderer because you were abused when you were a child. Get over it. What happened to you 20 and 30 years ago should not be controlling your life today. Amen. And especially... When you get born again, you become a new person in Christ. You have a new potential in Christ. You have an ability to walk in supernatural things. You can be strong and of a good courage. And I'm just telling you, you need to pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and take responsibility. And just the very thought that if God commanded me to be strong and of a good courage, then that means I can do it. There's been times in our life, Jamie and I, when both of us felt like giving up and quitting, and yet I would go back to the Word, and the Word just didn't preach quit. And I got up and went again when I thought I couldn't go again. I remember right before Joshua, our very first son, was born, Jamie and I were trying to pastor this little church in Seagoville, Texas, and I mean, it was a struggle. And we were struggling and we had been kicked out of our home because we didn't have enough money to pay the rent. And here we were with our first son on the way and we didn't even have a place to live. We were living with Jamie's parents. Everything was going negative. I was trying to pastor this church. Everything in my life was negative. And it just didn't look like things were going to work. And plus, we were staring a $600 bill for uh, the hospital bill for delivering Joshua. Just to tell you how old I am, some of you. (laughs) But $600 is all it took back then. And, but we didn't have a penny. We had even been without eating. Jamie was eight months pregnant and had been at times two weeks without any food because we didn't have any money. And we were just struggling, struggling. And there was times that I wanted to give up. And I remember one night we had a church meeting and I went over and all of the church was gathered together at a person's home and we were going to hold our midweek service. And I went in and told them, I said, you know what, I'm just... I I need somebody else to minister. I have no, I just don't have the ability to minister tonight. I said, I need you to minister to me. And they just all laughed like, oh, you're the pastor. You're okay. And nobody would do anything. They didn't take it serious. And so I said, I'm not ministering. So we just sat there and we turned on the 700 club. And we were watching the 700 club for our midweek service. And Kenneth Copeland 
was hosting the 700 club that night. And he was preaching out of first John chapter five, verse four. And it says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And he says, if you're in faith, you will overcome. And to myself, I didn't say this out loud. I was just sitting there thinking, Kenneth, I've preached this exact thing and I tried, but it didn't work for me. (laughs) And it's like he could hear my thoughts. He says, don't tell me it didn't work for you. He says, it works. He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I've preached it, but Kenneth, I tried. And he said, don't try it, just do it. He says, quit trying and just, and every thought that I had, he countered that thought. And I mean, at the end of the uh, broadcast, it's like he just had beat me to a pulp. He had beaten me into submission. And finally, I just decided, bless God, I hadn't failed yet. You know, it's still two weeks before the due date. We got two weeks to believe God. And I went to believe in God. And anyway, it's a long story, but a miracle came to pass. And when Jamie had uh, Joshua, we had the $600. It was a miracle. It came to pass. But I'm saying I felt like quitting just like anybody else. But see, the Word of God just kept exhorting me that this is the victory that overcomes the world even your faith. And I just had to get up and believe. I'm trying to exhort you today that the very first thing is recognize God would not have commanded you to be strong and of a good courage if you couldn't do it. Many of us have just bought into this, but I'm only human. And we just try. And if things don't work, well, then we expect people to sit there and pity us and get down and grovel in the dirt with us and be discouraged and depressed the way that we are. I'm telling you, I'm not mad at you. I'm saying this for your own benefit, but you are supernatural. In the spirit realm, you have more than enough ability to deal with all of the stuff that's coming your way. And if you're discouraged, just suck it up. Amen. And encourage yourself and do what David did and start encouraging yourself and say, praise God, I am going to make it. The difference between success and defeat many times is just the person that got up one more time than somebody else. The righteous will fall seven times and yet he'll still get back up. Look over in the 14th chapter of the book of John. And this is exactly what Jesus was saying to his disciples over here. This is the night before his crucifixion. And John 14, 15, and 16, these were words that he spoke to his disciples right after they had taken that last supper, the communion. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane before he got to Gethsemane and prayed. In between the the communion service and when he went to Gethsemane, John 14, 15, and 16 are the words that he spoke to his disciples. So this is his last instruction to them before he was arrested and before he was crucified. Within just hours, they were going to see Jesus crucified. And all of these disciples would forsake him and flee. And so this is his last instruction. And it says in the latter part of the 13th chapter, it says, Jesus, knowing all things that would befall him, he took a towel and girded himself and he washed the disciples' feet. He knew exactly what was happening. This was not a surprise. He knew that this... He was going to be crucified by this time the next day. And here is his last minute instructions to his disciples. And look at how he starts. He says in John chapter 14, verse 1, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Did you know that in our culture today, people would criticize Jesus severely? 
for this approach. They were going to see him crucified. They were going to have their own life put in jeopardy. They were all going to flee. Peter is the one that they magnify and talk about his three denials of the Lord. And it is true that he denied the Lord. But it says that every one of the disciples forsook him and fled. This was going to be a terrible time. These people had hinged their hopes on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And they did not understand his resurrection. When he was raised from the dead, they were surprised. They were shocked. It's like they had just blanked out uh, all of the prophecies that Jesus had given. Fourteen different times he said that he would come back from the dead. None of his disciples expected it. From their perspective, the way that they were thinking, Jesus, the Christ, was beaten and defeated. And so it was a major test of their faith. It looked like it had failed. Nothing had worked. This was going to be a terrible time. And did you know that today, most people, if you were going through a situation where your faith is being tried, it didn't look like God came through. It didn't look like things would work. If you were to stand up and tell somebody, don't be discouraged. Be strong and of a good courage. Don't let your heart be troubled. I guarantee you most Christian leaders would get on your case and say, how dare you say that to a person who's hurting? How dare you be insensitive? You need to get down and let this person know it's okay. You're only human. You'll survive. The sun will come out in the morning. But you just sit down and wail and travail with people. Jesus is telling his disciples the night before his crucifixion, don't let your heart be troubled. That's a strong word. And if you were designed to, um, what do we call this? Um, diagram the sentence, you know, the way we learned in school where you put the subject and the verb and all of this. There is no subject to this sentence. So you have to put an understood subject. It's saying you let not your heart be troubled. This is putting the responsibility on you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Again, the Lord would be unjust to give a command like this if you couldn't do it. And God is not unjust. If the Lord told you to be strong and of a good courage, if the Lord says, don't let your heart be troubled, speaking to his disciples who were in the greatest crisis, not only of their life, but this was the church. The church was just in its uh, about to be birthed. It was a critical time. And Jesus is telling these people that were going to be the leaders of the church. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Again, most of us would think, well, you're in denial. I'm sure that these disciples were troubled. I'm sure that there was thoughts that came to them. And basically, the way that we think today is just let it all out. Vent it. Don't hold these things in. Speak forth your doubts. Speak forth your fears. Don't hide these things. I'm telling you, there's a lot of things you should hide. There's a lot of things that you should not vent. Jesus said, take no thought saying. And you know, I'm taking a little bit of liberties with that verse, but that literally is the way that a thought becomes yours is when you start speaking it. You can have thoughts. I have thoughts that I know that are not, con- that are not according to the word of God, but I at least have learned enough not to speak them because when you start speaking and verbalizing your fears and your doubts, they start having power and dominion over your life. Don't speak those things out. Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. People today would say, oh, but you, you're just naturally, you're just normal. This is just the way it has to be. No, it doesn't. You are not only human. 
You have been born again. You have the supernatural spirit of God living on the inside of you. And one of the very first things, if you are going to be strong and have a good courage, is to recognize that God has given you the power and the ability to live more than just human. You aren't just human. You have the supernatural power of God living on the inside of you. And I believe that victory in this area starts by you recognizing that, praise God, I am not going to just be human. You shouldn't be reading. Again, I hate to say some of these things because somebody's going to misunderstand what I'm saying. But you shouldn't just be reading secular books about how to deal with your marriage and your finances and because they're only dealing with things from a human standpoint. They're only telling you the natural things. And yes, we are natural, but we aren't only natural. We are supernatural. There is a part of you that is supernatural that no human being who's not born again has access to that power. And sad to say, a lot of Christians are turning on the television and reading the magazines and reading the books of people that don't even know God and they're learning how to cope with life's problems and hurts and pains in a human, natural way. And it is true that, yes, we do have hurts and pains and things, but I am not only human, and it's a shame, I believe, for Christians to approach life and all of the things that it throws at us with only human ability. You need to recognize God has given you supernatural ability. God is not unreasonable when he told his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. They were about to see him crucified, and he says, don't be troubled by it. Most of us would think, well, you can't do that. Yes, you can. Look at this. Keep your finger here because I'm coming back. And in chapter 16, verse 1, this is the same discourse. It was just a matter of minutes after he had said what was recorded in John 14, 1. In John chapter 16, verse 1, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. If you go back to the parable of the sower sowing the seed in Mark chapter 4, it talks about one of the things that happened to the second type of person, the second type of ground that the seed was sown in. It says afflictions and persecutions came and they were offended and the word didn't work. When you get offended, I could spend more time developing this, but this is exactly the same thing I was talking about last night out of Joshua chapter 1 where it says don't be dismayed. This doesn't mean that you quit believing. Like Let's just talk the area of healing. If something happens and you don't see your faith work, you don't have to disbelieve and quit saying, well, I I don't believe it's God's will to heal anymore. Just lose your enthusiasm. Lose your confidence. Lose your momentum about healing. And you have been dismayed. You are offended. And when you get offended... Satan steals away the word that's been sown in your heart. You have to not only maintain just intellectual knowledge, but you have to have a heartfelt belief that it is God's will to heal and stand against all of the opposition and the things that come your way. And so Jesus said, I've spoken these words to you so that you wouldn't be offended, so that Satan wouldn't steal the word from you. And I believe, now this, I hadn't got time to verify this, but I really believe that if these disciples would have paid attention to what Jesus told them, they could have gone through that period in between when Jesus was arrested, when he was crucified, and then the three days until he was resurrected. They could have gone through that period of time rejoicing instead of being defeated, instead of being fearful, instead of grieving. And again, most people would think, well, that's unreasonable. It's normal. It's natural to grieve. 
Well, yeah, it is natural, but I'm saying I'm not only natural. I'm supernatural. Jesus had prophesied 14 different times to his disciples. He says, they will take me and they will crucify me, but I will rise again. If they would have taken the word that God had given them, they could have been positive through this negative situation. And I'm just, I'm saying this over and over because I know that there's lots of people here saying, no, you can't do that. You can do that. You can be positive. You can stand in the face of all of the negative things that are going on in this world and you can be positive or God wouldn't have told us to do it. So one of the very first things you've got to do is recognize that you aren't only human. You know, there's a man that I listen to often, and I've told Jamie this on a number of occasions. I said, you know, what he is saying makes impeccable logic. It's true if all you do is think about us as being mere human beings. He's telling you how to cope and how to deal with things and how to get through it. But the thing that I disagree with is he doesn't understand that in the spirit realm, we are now new creatures and we have supernatural ability and we don't have to deal with things in only a natural realm. You know, an example here is that we, we're in an area, I mean, in a period of time when they're saying it's a recession. I question whether it's as bad as what people say, but let's just not debate that at the moment. Let's just say that we're in a recession. But how do you deal with it? Well, conventional wisdom is hold back, start hoarding, cut back, start operating in fear, make plans for less, do without. And yet I believe it's just the opposite. I believe that, man, when things get hard over in the 26th chapter of the book of Genesis, uh, Isaac went out and planted his seed in a year of famine and got a hundredfold return. He went against conventional logic. If you've got a famine, if there's a drought going on, why would you put good money in the ground and plant it when it's not going to grow? It's because he had a word. It says in Isaiah 26, I believe about verse 3, that the Lord spoke unto him and said, don't go down into Egypt. Don't go down to where the water is plentiful and everything is working. Stay in this land and plant in this land. And because he had a word from God, he acted on that word and he received a hundredfold return on his seed that he planted in that year of famine. And plus, everybody else hadn't planted because what was the use? Conventional wisdom said don't do anything. And so... Nobody else had any crops. He not only had a hundredfold return, but he had no competition. He had a monopoly on the market. He was able to sell his crops and get top dollar for it. And because of it, he became so prosperous that that same year, Abimelech came to him and said, Depart, leave, you're mightier than our whole nation. You know why that happened? Because somebody approached the situation and realized they weren't only human. That they had a covenant with God. That God had said he would bless them in whatever they did. And because he stood on that, he got supernatural, superhuman results. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you aren't only human. You don't have to just cope with the situation the way that unbelievers cope with it. You don't have to sit here and just have depression and discouragement. You don't have to sit there and say, well, I got a chemical imbalance and what can I do about it? Release the raising from the dead power that's on the inside of you. Start speaking the word of God and break free from all of these limitations. 
Man, we ought to start living a supernatural life. If you aren't supernatural, you're superficial. And yet most people today, well, you're, you're making somebody feel bad. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to encourage you that you've got supernatural power on the inside of you. But if you are going to reject that and say, no, I'm only human. I'm going to only deal with this from a human standpoint. And I'm going to grieve and I'm going to have sorrow and grief. And I'm going to deal with my sickness and how dare you condemn me. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but you are in a sense condemning yourself when you reject the fact that God has placed this life-giving power on the inside of you. Brothers and sisters, God made us to be world overcomers. Jesus is telling his disciples during the the darkest time, not only in their life, but in the history of the world, don't be troubled. Don't be bothered by this. Psychiatrists would just stick their fingers in their ears and run out the door screaming if something like this happened today. How dare you do this? And yet this is our Lord and Savior Jesus telling his disciples, don't be troubled. I'm about to be crucified. Don't let it trouble you. Amen. Man, I think that's awesome. God wouldn't have commanded us to be that way if we couldn't do it. We are living way below our privileges. We're approaching situations. You know, I have people come to me all of the time and they basically are just pathetic. And I'm not meaning this to (laughs) criticize people, but they come and they're just pathetic. They're just crying and, oh, my situation is so bad. And they may not use these words, but what they're basically saying is, uh, it's just hopeless. It's helpless. Could you please help me? Did you know that's a sorry attitude? Well, it's what the doctor said. The doctor says, I'm going to die. They've given up hope. There's no more any surgery. There's no more medication. There's nothing that they can do. It's just helpless. Again, that's only from a human standpoint. There is nothing helpless with the Lord. He said that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which is more than enough for your headache, cold, arthritis, pain, sickness, whatever it is, the power that's on the inside of you is infinitely greater than your need. And when a person comes just saying, well, there's nothing I can do. You know what? I'm not going to agree with them because they've got a wrong attitude. I'm going to tell them, first of all, you need to recognize that you can do something. You resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I talked to a woman in Dallas just last month, or uh, now is back in November. And um, she came and she was telling me her problem. And I was giving her the scripture, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And she said, oh, I did that and it didn't work. I said, the Bible says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And she said, oh, I did it and it doesn't work. (laughs) She says, but maybe if you'll pray, it works. I said, look, why would I pray and agree with you? You are telling me that the word of God doesn't work. I'm not going to agree with you. And I wouldn't pray for this woman. And see, there's a lot of people that think, well, that's harsh. No, it's just truth. She's saying that the word didn't work for her. And yet she wants me to pray for her. Well, I'm not going to pray with a person like that. 
You've got to at least get into a place to recognize it. Praise God. Maybe I haven't seen it work yet, but I know that I've got this power on the inside of me. And you need to approach things from a standpoint of I'm the winner and not the loser. I am not going to approach this as if I have no power. You need to get that book on the authority of the believer. Because I guarantee you, God has put you, has given you power and authority. Now, let me just put a little parenthesis here, and this is probably the biggest mistake I see made in this area, is people who get strong in their authority and believe this, they go out and try and get somebody else to receive based on their faith. And that doesn't work. Even Jesus couldn't cast, uh, heal many people in Mark chapter 6 because of their unbelief. And Jesus was operating in power and authority perfectly. You can't assume responsibility for another person. And that's where a lot of people make mistakes. They go out and they stand and then somebody dies or something happens and they get confused. And it's not because their faith failed. It's because you didn't take into account the other person. So anyway, I'm not going to preach on that. But I am saying you need to recognize that God has given you power and authority. And you need to approach your situation as, praise God, I may not have seen it work yet. But I know I've got this power on the inside of me somewhere. Jesus commanded you to be strong and of a good courage in the midst of a negative situation. And so that's what I'm saying to you. When it comes about being positive in the midst of a negative world, the very first thing you've got to realize is that I've got the power to do this. I can do it. God has placed this power on the inside of me or he wouldn't have given me a command to do this. And so you just got to stand up sometimes and just go to resisting things even when you don't feel like it. The last part of this verse, it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know how you let not your heart be troubled? Through faith. Again, this is really simple. I know people look to me and they think, I thought you were going to say something profound. (laughs) This is profound. It's really simple. You have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand what I'm saying. It's really simple, but it is profound and it is contrary to what most people think today. Faith is the antidote for this negativism that's in this world. And I can turn it around this way. And again, I'm not saying any of these things to condemn anybody. I'm saying it to enlighten you and to help you, to encourage you. But sometimes, you know, it just rubs you the wrong way at first. But if you aren't encouraged, if your heart is troubled, it's not because of the circumstances you've been through. It's because you aren't in faith. Faith will keep you encouraged. Faith will keep you from being troubled even in the midst of a negative situation. And the truth is that there's just a lot of people that aren't walking in faith. The way he, he said, let not your heart be troubled. And then he says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. Immediately he talked about faith. It takes faith to walk in victory in the midst of a negative situation. And faith is something that it's your ability to see the intangible, to believe that something that you can't see is real. And that it's going to come to pass. You have to believe in the power of God. When everything around you looks negative, you're just going to have to believe that God's word is true and that things are going to work. And it takes faith. You know, there's a real good friend of mine, Pastor Bob Nichols. He pastors in Fort Worth, Texas. 
And Bob Nichols, with about 100 people, moved into this huge auditorium that seated 2,000 people. It used to be the First Baptist Church of Fort Worth, Texas. And he moved in with this little tiny group of people into this huge facility. Do you remember how many square feet that thing was? It was was like 400,000 square feet or something. And it was this massive building. And he got it. But he inherited all of this debt. And I mean for the first, what, 10 years or 15 years that he was in that building, it was just like every month was a deadline and a crisis. And he tried to get financing And the pressure, the financial pressure of this thing was just choking the life out of him. And I heard him talk about it many times. And I thought to myself, I said, man, I'm not sure that was God that put you in that place. Because it was just, it was this huge step of faith. But see, I'm not the one God spoke to. God spoke to Pastor Bob Nichols about it, not me. And I question sometimes. But anyway... Uh, I heard him one time on the radio give this testimony about how he was under so much pressure and they had a balloon payment come due and he was just ready to quit and he had to have a word from God. And so he went out and laid in this field in Fort Worth all night long and he just said, God, I'm not getting up until you speak to me. And he laid in this field praying all night long, waiting for a word from God. Didn't hear a thing. Nothing happened. And anyway, the sun was coming up and people were beginning to drive by and people could see him laying out in this field. And so he he decided, well, I'll just quit. And he he got up and got in his car. And when he turned the, the key on, he had forgotten that he left his radio on. And so as soon as he turned on the car, this voice came on that says, Preacher, you don't have any problem. All you need is faith in God. R.W. Shambach. And man, when he turned that on, he heard that and he turned the car off real quick and he thought, God spoke to me. (laughs) And then he realized that it was R.W. Shambach and that's the way he used to say things often. And, and, uh, but you know, the point had been made. God spoke to him through R.W. Shambach and said, you know what? All you need is faith. He was wanting something special. He was wanting God to do something more. He thought that there was more than just faith. But what the bottom line was, he had just let those circumstances get to him. He had thought about the potential damage that was coming. And he decided he'd just believe God. And you know what? He got that thing paid off. They had a tornado collide. Two tornadoes tornadoes collide over their building. And this is after he had it paid off. And they had these tornadoes collide and it was an $18 million facility was reduced to rubble in 40 something seconds. He lost everything. But you know what? I heard about it. I went on the internet and I looked and here he was within an hour of these tornadoes with a hard hat on being interviewed by CNN saying, God didn't do this, but God is going to bring glory out of this. We're going to come out of this twice as strong as we were before. And you know what? They got a complete insurance settlement for $18 million, paid him. He went and got another facility that's better and was able to pay it off and build the largest, I think, Christian school in all of Fort Worth, debt-free. And he's twice as good as he was before and everything worked all because one guy just believed in God. It worked. Amen.
All of us have been there. I'm not criticizing you for being part human. We are part human. There are times that we all want to sit down and just suck our thumb or cry or, or, you know, just gripe. I'd feel better if I griped. But I'm telling you that you are also born again. And you have the life of God living on the inside of you. And God told you not to give up. Don't give in. Don't be discouraged. Be not dismayed. It's a command. And God commanded you to do it because you can do it. And the very first step towards walking positively in a negative world is that you've just got to realize that, praise God, you can do it. And when you hear all of these discouraging things, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, in my experience, this is the very first step. I've got a teaching entitled Harnessing Your Emotions. And in that teaching, the cover on that is a horse that is out of control. The saddle has come loose. It's over on the underside. The guy's holding on to the neck of the horse, riding on the bottom side, and the horse is out of control. And the reason I put that picture on there is because in my impression, this is what it's like. If you ever let your emotions get out of control and run away, it's like trying to stop a horse. A 2,000-pound horse is not going to be stopped by a 200-pound person. It's a lot easier to keep it from ever getting out of control than it is once it's out of control to rein it in. And it's the same thing with your emotions. I believe that the Lord, the very first thing he said to his disciples in a crisis situation is don't let your heart be troubled. If you ever let your emotions go, if you ever give in to sorrow and grief and hurt and pain and fear and all of these negative emotions, I guarantee you it is very, very hard to rein them in. It's a lot easier just not to release those things in the first place. And I know that there's many of you here that think, well, I don't ever get up and just say, God, I want to have a bad day. I want to have bad emotions today. You, I didn't choose this. No, you don't get up in the morning and just choose that today I'm going to be depressed and discouraged. But if something negative happens, most people feel no responsibility or no authority to control themselves. They think, well, look what happened. And I would be in denial if I, if I wasn't discouraged and depressed. Amen or oh me. Most people feel no accountability in this area. I'm telling you, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Grab hold of your emotions. Don't let your emotions get away. You know, I've got my son, uh, Peter, with us here. I don't know if he's in here today, but he was the one that died. And when we got that word, I guarantee you, I started to feel grief, sorrow, sadness, confusion, condemnation, anything that anybody else would feel. But you know what? This, these exact truths are the things that God spoke to me. Don't let your heart be troubled. And man, I guarantee you, I just refuse to be troubled. I refuse to let my emotions run away with me. I refuse to give in to this. And I mean, it was a fight. And I just started praising God. I started praising Him when I didn't feel like praising Him. I started saying, God, you aren't the fault. You did not kill my son. This is not your... And I just started saying, you are worthy. You are a good God. And I started praising Him. And I didn't feel like praising Him. 
But I praised him just because I wasn't going to let my heart be troubled. And praise God, the Lord brought him back after being dead for five hours, brought him back to life, and he's alive today. And I got a granddaughter that's here with us because of that. But I am absolutely convinced that if I would have let grief and sorrow play out and run its natural course and let me just grieve and be brought to my knees and then after all of this has happened, if I tried to stand up and release my faith, it wouldn't work. Jesus, the very first thing he said to his disciples during a crisis time is don't let your heart be troubled. He gave you a command. And I believe he's saying the exact same thing to us. If you are going to be positive in the midst of a negative world, if you're going to overcome these things, you are going to have to grab hold of your emotions and you're going to have to take some responsibility and say, I am not going to fall apart like a $2 suitcase just because this thing happened to me. You are going to have to stand and grab hold of your emotions and encourage yourself in the Lord. I got a lot more to say about how you can do that, but the very first step is you got to recognize you can do it. If you don't think you can do it, if you think, but I'm only human, I just can't do things like this. Well, then get only human results. If you want supernatural results, you're going to have to draw on the supernatural reserves that God has placed on the inside of you. You are a born again person. If you aren't born again, I can help you solve that problem too. But if you have been born again, then God's power lives on the inside of you. And praise God, you do not have to face all of the pressures and the problems of this world with only human ability. You need to get supernatural ability. You know, I've got a friend of mine who's a psychologist in, um, uh, I forget where it is, Richmond, I believe, Richmond, Virginia. And um, she has sent, I couldn't tell you, but many, many people to our Bible school. And she has got all of my teaching tapes and books and stuff. And when people come into her office, she says, here, here's your problem. You can either read these books, study these materials and get set free for free. Or you can come to me and I'll give you psychology and help you to cope with it. (laughs) And uh, that's the way she approaches it. And you know what? A lot of people have gotten set free and have come to our Bible college and are out ministering and doing things. But I'm not against psychologists if they just recognize that they're, the way that they're taught is only how to cope naturally. But I'm saying that there is a part of you that isn't natural. There's a part of you, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what's in your spirit, and it's always that way. The time you're wanting to just fall apart and cry and be so depressed, your spirit is rejoicing in the Lord. You've got a choice whether you're going to operate in the spirit or whether you're going to operate in the flesh. Are you going to go by how you feel? Are you going to go by just the natural circumstances? Or are you going to stand on what God's word has to say? And faith is always the antidote to it. There is an answer. Before you ever had your problem, God created the supply. The supply is greater than your need, and it's always there. By faith, you just have to perceive it. And you know, that's the reason that in John chapter 14, verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and uh, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know why he started talking about heaven? 
Because if everything around you is so bleak, if it looks like nothing is going to work, if it looks like you're going to die, well, then you still can always rejoice in the fact that, praise God, in your father's house, there's many mansions. If the worst thing that could happen to you is that you die. And if you die, big deal. We go to be with the Lord. Paul talked about that in Philippians chapter 1. He was trying to comfort his supporters. He wrote to him in Philippians chapter 1 verse 5 and he says, I praise God every time for your fellowship. That word fellowship is Greek word koinonia. It means partnership. These were the only people, Philippians chapter 4, that ever supported him after he left the local church. And they did it not only once or twice. They would have done it multiple times if they could. He says, I praise God for you partners. And he was trying to encourage them because they had heard that he was in prison. And he says, don't worry about me because the things that have happened to me have worked out rather for the furtherance of the gospel. See, Paul was so committed to putting God first and promoting the gospel that he thought it would be comforting to people. That, oh yeah, I'm in prison and they may kill me, but it's okay because the gospel is being promoted. That's a good attitude. To him, the gospel was so important that it was worth him sacrificing his life. One of the reasons that things bother us is so much is because your life is so valuable to you. There's something bigger than you. There's something bigger than your life. And that's God. And you know what? If you would find that out, it would take away a lot of the pressures of life on you. But if worse comes to worse, if you have the right attitude, the very worst thing that can happen is that you die and you go right into the presence of the Lord. And over there in Philippians chapter 1, after he had told them, don't worry because these things have turned out to the furtherance of the gospel. He says, I may be killed, but that's fine because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I would rather go to be with the Lord, but I know it's necessary for your sake for me to stay here. So for that reason, I'll stay here. But he was so excited about the Lord. He was so heavenly minded that I guarantee you all of the pressures of this life just didn't bother him. That's awesome. And you know what? That's faith. And that's the reason Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. And then if you're having trouble seeing any positive outcome in this life, just think about heaven. It's all going to be worked out in heaven. Worst thing could happen is we die and we go to heaven and spend eternity with the Lord. You can't lose for winning. Man, God is for us. Brothers and sisters, I'm just trying to get across today that we are not drawing on everything that God has given us. Most of us see ourselves as only human. You aren't only human. If you've been born again, you have the same power on the inside of you that was inside of Jesus. And enabled him, it says, for the joy that was set before him, which is faith. He wasn't just looking at the cross. He wasn't just looking at the shame. He was looking at the results. And for that joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 3. Jesus used faith. That's how he endured the cross. Peter used faith. And this isn't written in Scripture, but the uh, uh, church history says that Peter actually refused to be crucified right side up the way that Jesus was. He was crucified upside down, feeling unworthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was. And so he did it, and he, he did it joyfully and with joy and peace. He was able to endure crucifixion because he was operating in faith. I've got this book entitled Christian 
martyrs. I forget the encyclopedia of Christian martyrs. And it talks about uh, Thomas, I believe it was, that was crucified. And they left him there in front of this multitude just to mock him. And he got to preaching to them and started seeing people born again and people were getting saved. And there was over 5,000 people born again watching him crucified. And it was so bad that they went to take him down because he was leading so many people to the Lord and he refused to come down. He refused to come down because he was being more effective. He was seeing people's lives changed by him dying and he refused to allow them to take him down and he died a martyr's death because man, his, there was something more important to him than just his own physical life. Isn't that awesome? You've got that supernatural power on the inside of you. We need to draw on it. We need to use it. You can be strong and of a good courage instead of uh, discouraged, fearful, and dismayed. Amen. But the first thing is you got to believe that you've got it and you've got to pursue it. If you don't have that as a goal, you'll never obtain it. The first step is you got to recognize that there is supernatural ability on the inside of you and begin to use it. You know, if you aren't born again today, you need to be born again because without Jesus, all you are is human. This doesn't apply to you today if you haven't truly been born again. If all you are is religious and you believe that there is a God, but you have never let Him come live on the inside of you, and if you haven't been born again, then all you are is human. All you can expect to receive is human. But when you get born again, God himself comes and lives on the inside of you and gives you a supernatural ability. And then once you get born again, Jesus told his disciples, he says, don't go anywhere, don't say anything, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. And he was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, when they received the baptism, I tell you, supernatural things begin to happen. These men who had run and denied the Lord and said, I've never seen him before. This same man, Peter, stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached a sermon and saw 3,000 people born again. And then he was arrested and went before the high priest and stood there boldly and stuck his finger right in their face. And he says, you're the ones who crucified the Lord of glory. And it says they took knowledge that these men had been with Jesus. Man, there was a change because they received the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, it's not limited to that, but it includes it. If you don't have that, you need to receive power. There's a lot of born-again people who their eternity is secure, but they haven't received the power to live the Spirit-filled life here on this earth. You need that. If you don't have that, you must have this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So is there anybody here today who would say, I need one or both of those. I need to be born again and or I need this baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you and help you to receive salvation and or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody else? If that's you, just be bold and raise your hand. Praise the Lord. You know, we saw 85 people last night come forward to receive the Holy Spirit, but there were over 100 or maybe 200 people who raised your hands today to say this was your first service. Out of 200 people, I know that there's more than a dozen or two that need this baptism of the Holy Spirit. This may be something that you aren't sure about, but I am. You think, well, maybe I need to think about this a little longer. 
Well, I don't want to let you think about it. Look what you're thinking about it has done. You need to take my opinion. I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a life transforming experience where you get his power living on the inside of you. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you ought to raise your hand. You ought to let us pray with you. You ought to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, just get up out of your seat and come forward and let us pray with you right now. And we'd like to help you to receive in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just come forward and stand right here. We're going to pray with you and help you to receive. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you would, stand side by side this way instead of behind people because we're going to have people that come up behind you to lay hands on you and pray with you. So don't stack up behind each other. Spread out this way so that we can get behind you and lay hands on you. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this great? You know, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what was going to happen. I just, I just threw open my heart and said, God, I want all of you that there is to get. I need your power. I cried out for the results, but I didn't understand about receiving the Holy Spirit. But I tell you what, it changed my life. I had been born again for 10 years, but my life changed more through receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit than it did through being born again. I believe that when I got born again is when God placed all of His life on the inside of me, but the Holy Spirit drew it out. When I received the Holy Spirit, I began to experience things instantly. I began to believe. Faith started working. It just changed my life. And I believe that that's going to happen for you. I believe that your life is going to be radically changed. I tell you, if the baptism of the Holy Spirit impacts you half as much as it impacted me, you're going to love it. Amen. This will be great for you. Before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says you must be born again first. Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody up here who's not absolutely sure about whether you have made Jesus your Lord and if you're already born again? If you aren't sure, we need to pray with you first and get you born again so that you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here that needs to pray first and make Jesus your Lord? Here's a man down here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Any of you? Do you need to pray? How about you? You need to be born again? Are you just praising God or do you need to pray to make Jesus your Lord? You just want it all. That's awesome. You know, if there's anybody up here who's not sure, then you ought to pray and make sure. There's a lot of people that just assume, well, I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm being the best person I know how to be. Isn't that enough? No, it's not. You can't save yourself by just being a good person. You have to receive Jesus as your Lord. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
Jesus has already paid for your sins and all it takes is you accepting it and saying, all right, I receive this. I make you my Lord. Doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, that you'll never make a mistake, but you're willing to turn your life over and let him control your life. Anybody else besides these three? Praise God. What I'm going to do is lead you in a prayer. And I'd like you to repeat after me. I'd like to ask every person here to repeat after me so that they won't feel like people are just listening to them. And as I say these words, I'm going to say the words that you need to say to be born again. But it depends on whether you believe it. You have to believe it. It's not magic. It doesn't just automatically work. But if you will say these words and mean them from your heart, according to Romans 10, 9, you shall be born again. Is that a good deal? Isn't that awesome? Jesus has already forgiven you. All you got to do is receive it. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer. I'd like to ask everybody to repeat this after me. And if you will mean this with your heart, you'll be born again. Let's just say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. Welcome to the family. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the family, brother. God bless you. That's great. So now everybody up here has prayed and made Jesus your Lord. And so according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what He created you for. God made you to fill with the Holy Spirit. And the significance of that is you don't have to beg God to give you the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit. That's what He created you for. So all we got to do is just ask. There are some people who teach that you got to be holy. You can't have any sin in your life to receive the Holy Spirit. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you got a problem, don't let that hold you back. God is wanting to fill you with His power so that you could begin to start overcoming these things in your life. So don't let some sense of unworthiness keep you from receiving. God promised if you ask, He said in Luke eleven thirteen, if you be an evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a promise. All you got to do is ask and believe and God's going to give you the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to ask one time. We aren't going to beg. We aren't going to plead. We're just going to ask one time. And then I've got all of our prayer ministers. I'd like to ask them to come up here and they're going to stand behind you and lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit is given. And so they're gonna, we're going to pray. Then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power to flow into your life. And then I want you to take a step of faith and quit asking and start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. I want you to do it because He promised that if you ask, you receive. And so you're going to just start thanking Him and praising Him that He gave you the Holy Spirit. And at that time, I want you to quit asking, to lift your hands... And start praising Him. The reason I ask you to lift your hands because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back. And you go, I surrender. It's your way of surrendering. I yield. Amen. 
And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands and start praising God and thanking Him. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start speaking in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, the Bible says when you speak in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking God. And I want you to quit praying in English and just start praying in tongues with us. It won't force its way out. It's like when I preach today, I believe that God spoke through me. But I'm the one that spoke. I believe God inspired what I said, but it was me talking. That's the reason it came out in a Texas twang with my sense of humor. It was me talking. I didn't, you know, sometimes people say, oh God, speak through me. God doesn't just take your mouth and make it talk. You have to speak and believe that God is inspiring it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You speak with tongues. It says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. God doesn't force you, control you. You speak by faith and believe that God is inspiring it. And I've got a book that is going to explain this in much more detail. I haven't got time. I'm not going to take more time. But that's what we're going to do. And if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. Isn't that a good deal? And this is going to change you. I know you don't understand it, but you don't have to understand it to receive it. Amen. I believe that this is going to change your life. Father, I just thank you for all of these people. According to the Word of God, they've prayed and made you their Lord. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, right now, we just open up the doors of our temple, our heart. We open it up and we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come take your rightful place. Come fill us with your power right now. We desire, we want this power in us so that we can overcome. And we receive it now in Jesus' name. I lay, we lay hands on you now in the name of the Lord Jesus and just say, receive the Holy Spirit. We loose this power into you in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming upon every one of these and filling them with your power. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I want you to lift those hands and start thanking God. Thank Him that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you have His anointing on you. Regardless of what you feel like, trust the promises of God. Believe God's Word. Father, we thank you that you are filling these with your power right now in Jesus' mighty name. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now. And as we worship the Lord and thank God and speak in tongues, you join in with us. You can speak. God's power has come upon you. And the Bible says that when they received the Holy Spirit, they all spoke with tongues. God has given you this ability to talk in a language that you don't understand. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue is going to be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else's. You can't say what they're saying. But it'll get you to talking. And once you start talking, don't quit. Just start speaking right now. And it may not sound like a viable language to you, but don't worry about it. When little kids start talking, it's not a fluent language. But they eventually get to where they can speak. Right now, God knows what you're saying. Just begin to speak right now. Let's all worship the Lord and glorify God by speaking in our tongue right now. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You've got to open your mouth to talk in tongues. 
Don't worry about what it sounds like. Man, you're bypassing your brain. You're praying out of your heart. You're releasing faith unto God that isn't limited and hindered by unbelief. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's it. Just let it flow. You may not understand, but you are speaking hidden wisdom to God. Man, your spirit is finally released to communicate to God without any unbelief and fear. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Boy, many, 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 nearly every one of these, I think, is praying in tongues, it looks to me like. Isn't that awesome? And the power of God is flowing through you. Father, we receive this right now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. You know, let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit. I really do. You know, when I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't pray in tongues. It took me three and a half years to pray in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. And I had been taught that speaking in tongues was of the devil. And I was afraid of doing something and letting the devil in. And so I had confusion and fears. And it took me about three and a half years to renew my mind. But I've written the things that God taught me in a book. And I don't think anybody struggled to pray in tongues more than I did. But I got all my questions answered. And now I can pray in tongues with the best of them. Amen. (laughs) And so I want to give every one of you a book that will help you to understand what's happened to you. And even if you didn't pray in tongues, it'll help take away your fears and you will be able to pray in tongues later because I believe that God gave every one of you the Holy Spirit and this ability to speak in tongues and it's really powerful. Sometimes you just need some understanding before you can operate in it fully. So it's really important to me that you get this book because we want you to have the full benefit of this, this could just radically change your life, make you a stark, raving, mad fanatic by getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's really awesome. So if you would, this is Ashley right here, the man with his Bible up, and he's going to take you right around the corner into this room and give you the book. And also there's people that will pray with you. If you have any questions, they'll answer your questions. But we want every one of you to go and get that book if you would. It's our gift to you. Just follow Ashley. And we want to minister to you. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Thanks once again. You're welcome. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Arlington. Yep. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this great? Hallelujah. God bless you, brother. Welcome to the family. God bless you. You know, we've already had as many people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as received it on the day of Pentecost. 120 people in the upper room. And then they went out and 3,000 got born again later that day. Man, you know what? This could be the start of something big if they just operate in the full potential of what God has done in their life. Thank you, Jesus. These are all of our prayer ministers up here. These are people that are mature Christians in the Lord. They know how to pray. And 
Uh, I'm a, I've asked them to help me pray for people because I just can't pray for every single person. You know, I prayed for people today and we saw uh, deaf ears. People took their hearing aids out before the service and a deaf man was healed and started hearing. I prayed for a man who was blind. We didn't see his eyes open, but they're going to open this week. Amen. And um, we saw some great miracles happen. I enjoy praying with people, but I can't pray for every one of you. And I don't need to pray for every one of you. It's not me. I don't have an anointing for healing. I'm just a Joe Blow believer. Praying for people is all I am. And um, my gift is teaching. Teach you how to do it. So these are here and we can pray with you better and minister to you better if you will let one of these pray for you. They can spend more time with you than what I would. So if there's anybody here that would like prayer for anything, I'd like to invite you to come forward right now. We're going to have people that stand at the aisles that will direct you towards a person so that you won't all just go to one side. But if you would like prayer for anything, come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers agree with you and pray for you. And I believe you're going to see miraculous results. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Last night after uh, the service was over, for those of you that were new, we, we have people come forward and then I call out healings and pray. And we saw a lot of miracles happen last night. A lot of people set free. I believe it's God's will for every one of you to be totally free. Thank you, Jesus. If you need to be dismissed, you're free to go. Remember that the CDs and DVDs of last night and this morning are already duplicated out there and they're available. You can get them. We'll be back tonight at 7 o'clock, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, and then tomorrow night at 6 o'clock will be our last service of these meetings. Praise God. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we pray with these and thank you, Father, that by the stripes of Jesus, we've already been healed. That every single sickness and disease has already been healed. That that power has been generated and placed on the inside of us. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, we release this authority and power. We command sicknesses and diseases to depart people and to leave and to be gone off of them right now. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Somebody here has been dealing with curvature of the spine. You got a crooked back. Here's the anointing of God. I believe the Lord just spoke to me about He's healing somebody a curvature of the spine. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hands. And we're going to pray for you. Amen. All the way over here. Praise God. Anybody else? Father, we agree, and right now, thank you for your Holy Spirit being present right here, and I release this anointing. You spirit of infirmity, I command you to loose them and to let them go now in Jesus' name. Get off of their body now in the name of Jesus. Straighten up. And Father, I loose your anointing now to repair whatever damage scoliosis has done unto them. Father, I thank you and we release your anointing and believe that right, they are straightening back up, that they are standing tall and that any pain or discomfort problems that they had are over. 
I believe that one of you, your spine was so crooked that it threw your hips out of alignment and one leg was shorter than another. You had to alter the, the pants leg. I believe that God is straightening you up and you are going to, all of those pants that have been altered are going to have to be re-altered because God's going to straighten you up. Your legs are going to be the same length. Father, I loose this power and anointing. We speak that this is done and that your Holy Spirit is working to straighten them up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all receive that? Amen. Did any of you have any pain before we prayed? Anybody had pain before I prayed? Over here. How are you doing now? You got any pain? You still have some pain? Come down here and let somebody just agree with you because the healing power of God is in your body and I believe every bit of that pain is leaving you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this. Thank you for this healing in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Here's one of those that had the curvature of the spine. I believe his legs have been lengthened. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you, Father. Somebody here has been having problems breathing. I don't know what causes that. It could be a lot of different things. Allergies, bronchitis, maybe COPD, who knows, whatever. But if you've been having problems breathing, here's the healing power of God flowing towards you right now. If, you, if you've got a problem breathing, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who it is that I'm praying for. Here's the healing power of God flowing towards you right now. Father, for all of these that are standing with their hands raised, I release this anointing right now and we command whatever this is that has affected their lungs. We release your healing to flow into them and to cause these lungs to open up and to breathe properly. Father, if they've damaged themselves through smoking or whatever it is that they've done, we just thank you for your mercy and grace and believe that your power and anointing is breaking that control that's over them. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I welcome you to come and just touch their heart, touch their lungs, cause them to breathe normally. Somebody here had a constriction in your nasal passages. That was part of your not being able to breathe. Here's the healing power of God opening up those nasal passages in the name of Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this and believe that you have healed right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all agree? I believe you're going to be able to notice a difference. You're going to breathe good in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we receive this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Here's people that your shoulder has been damaged. You, uh, something hit it. It's like you crushed your shoulder or something. And you've been unable to have total freedom of movement, lifting your arm and moving it around. Here's the healing power of God. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Even if it's hard, stand and raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God flowing towards you. Father, in Jesus' name, right now, we release your anointing and we command whatever was damaged in these shoulders rotator cuffs or whatever it is. We speak the healing power of God into these shoulders. Be healed now in the name of Jesus. We release your power and anointing. 
command pain to be gone, lack of movement to be gone. Father, I thank you that they are able to move freely right now in Jesus' name. Praise God. Begin to move your shoulders around. Move your arms around. Here's the healing power of God flowing in you. Begin to move like you couldn't do before. Thank you, Jesus. Who's already got your pain gone or freedom of movement back? If that's you, I want you to wave at me. Here's, here's a couple back here that they've got their freedom. Here's one here. Anybody else? Here's another one. There's, there's six or seven. Man, here's another dozen over here. I believe that's the healing power of God touching people. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for touching these lives. Thank you for setting them free. And we believe that we are free indeed. That we are not having this sickness, these problems come back on us anymore in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. You know, when I was praying with people out there individually, I told nearly every single person who was healed that if you ever have another problem, if you ever have another pain, it doesn't mean that you weren't healed. It's just the devil seeing if you'll let him back in. He knows that I believe. And when I pray and command something, it happens. But you know what? Then when you get out on your own, he may come back with the pain or with the discomfort. And it depends on how you respond. If you say, oh no, I wasn't healed. Or oh no, it's back. You just opened up the door and allowed the devil to come back in. But if you will just respond and say, no, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. I'm healed and I refuse this. I command this breathing to be normal. And if you'll speak to it the way I spoke to it, that pain or whatever will leave you and you'll be able to continue in that healing. Amen. But I believe that God has healed you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We receive that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and release your power, your anointing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, God's healing people up here. A lot of awesome things happening. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your power and anointing. Thank you, Holy Spirit.
believe the Lord just spoke to me about somebody that's having problems with your knee joints, stiffness in your knees. I don't know what that is, but there's a swelling in your knees. And here's the healing power of God taking away that swelling, this water on the knees or whatever it is. If that's you that's had problems with your knees, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who you are. We're praying and releasing this anointing. Praise the Lord. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, whatever this problem is, whatever the root of it is, we just speak against it in Jesus' name. We resist this stiffness in the knees, pain in the knees, and command you to be gone in Jesus' name. And Father, we release your anointing now to come and take away all of the swelling, any inflammation. We command pain to be gone now in Jesus' name. And Father, thank you that your power is flowing towards these people right now. And we receive these healings in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Is there anybody here that can tell a difference in your knees already? Here's one in the back, already feeling better. Anybody else? Here's another one here. Praise God. You know what? God doesn't just touch one or two and skip the others. I believe all of you receive. I believe that the healing power of God is in you. And praise God, you're going to see improvement in those knees in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I want to thank all of those that are helping us pray with people down here. These are some awesome people. Some of these have been friends of mine for 30 years since I first started coming to Phoenix. Some of them are Bible college students that pay their own way. Many of them are graduates of our Bible college that just come and pay their own way, all of the expenses so that they can come and just pray with people. They've seen great miracles happen. But man, isn't that awesome? That is a blessing to have these people come. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, I'm going to let you go. Praise God. Remember that we'll be back tonight at 7 o'clock, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, and we've got a meeting tomorrow afternoon about our Caris Bible College if you're interested at 1 o'clock or just immediately after the morning service right over here. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. Praise the Lord.